you know, I, I finished my outline. Generally, I finished my outline early in the week. I was away Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday in San Diego, and so I didn't finish till Thursday morning. And then the fires broke out, and then Connie passed away, and I went to a funeral on uh, also on Thursday for uh, many of you know Barbara Ross. Remember Barbara Ross? She she passed away this last week, and it's kind of a funny thing. They told me what time the graveside was, and when I got there. One of the family members said, okay, Pastor Jim, what are we going to do? I said, what are we going to do at the graveside? I guess the, I was doing the graveside. And uh, so it's a good thing I, I've done this sometimes, and I knew Barbara well, so it was easy to do that. And then I went over across town to the church where they have been attending. And uh, when I walked in the door, the coordinator said to me, come here, let me show you your part in the service. The Bible says, be ready to give answer to any man about the hope that was in them and is in me at that point. So, uh, but it was a wonderful celebration. God was gracious and, um, you know, I, I didn't have a lot planned, so I didn't take too long, which is really rare. And, uh, but uh, it was a wonderful celebration of her life and uh, it really was. But um, on Saturday morning, I got up early to meet the custodians here because there was a chance we might not even get to use the, uh, we, we might not even get to use the building because of the fires and things of that nature. And they were supposed to meet me here at six o'clock, the custodians were. And, um, and so I, uh, there you go. <laughs> this guy right here is 90, how old are you now? How old are you now? How old are you now? He's 93. 93 years old. And he sits on the front row of this church every Sunday. But uh, you thought we started at, nine, at 1045, didn't you? Well, that's it. He did. You know, that's right. Well, it's listen, when I'm 93, I hope I, I, hope I just know they're starting. And, uh, but this is a wonderful man. He just absolutely, he and his wife both are just absolutely wonderful people. But uh, anyway, um, so anyway, I, I got here at six o'clock and nobody was here. And, uh, and so I, I sat outside for a few minutes waiting on to come. Finally, I texted the person who's supposed to meet me here and no response, no response. So I looked in the back window and the chairs were set up and I think, well, the chairs are up, we're going. And, um, and so I, but I sat out in front and it was just a beautiful morning to be quite honest with you. I don't know if you were up Friday morning as early as I was, but Friday morning, you could see the moon right up here, and and as the moon was sort of disappearing, the sun was coming over the over the uh, the hill, and um, God sort of spoke to my heart and said, you know, you need to let go of your outline and just encourage your people today because it has been a tough week, it really has been a fearful week, and and so I, I wanted to share something with you because as I was out in front and and I was. I was um, just kind of praying about the weekend and, and all that's been going on and, and things. I, my mind went over to the Old Testament, and I just want to share some of this, this with you for a minute. I'm not going to take a long time this morning because I know most of you didn't come to hear me. You came to eat chili, and, and, this is, and mine's actually going to win this year because the coaches at COC are judging, and if you notice, I wore their shirt today, so no bribery on my part, but, uh, uh, 
But um, anyway, uh, they don't even know which one's mine out there, but they, know, they will know when they taste it. It will light them up. No, anyway. But anyway, as I was uh, thinking about it, my, my, my mind went over to the Old Testament to a little verse of Scripture or a little passage of Scripture over in the book of Lamentations. How many of you ever heard of Lamentations? Okay, Lamentations is an interesting book because it actually means lamenting. It's written by the prophet Jeremiah. Is who it was written by, and uh, it's actually written following him writing the book of Jeremiah in which he prophesies to the nation of Israel their destruction if there's an unwillingness on their part to repent. And, um, and sure enough, they didn't do it. And sure enough, what the prophet says goes if he's a true prophet. Um, and Jeremiah was obviously a true prophet. And so he records in the book of Lamentations many of his feelings as he sits in a cave, literally. Uh, it's, it's, it's known in biblical days, or it's known in even archaeological terms today, it's, it's known as, as Jeremiah's Grotto. It's a place where he would sit and look out over the ruins of Jerusalem after they'd been taken captive by the Babylonians, and he would literally lament. He would lament over it. And when you read Lamentations, uh, you you need to really buck up because it's not the most exciting book in the world. It's recording some really, really, really difficult things. But in the third chapter, uh, Jeremiah does something that I think we have to do every now and then, and that is we have to hit the reset button and, and go back to what is really true and what really matters. Because frankly, life can be awfully confusing, can't it be? It really can be. Life can be awfully confusing. When you look around and you look what's going on in our world, you look what's going on in our culture, you look what's going on maybe in your life, man, it can get awfully confusing. And when you look in the third chapter, and um, I'm not going to go into uh, sort of the bad news. I'm going to show you where he sort of hits the reset button. And here, here's what he says. When he, he's recording all of this difficult stuff, he says in verse 18, my endurance has perished. Anybody ever felt that? Your endurance has perished. Um, I, I, I remember my afflictions and my wanderings. Um, my soul constantly remembers the adversity that I feel. Uh, we, if you've lived long, you've felt some of this, okay? But then he says this in verse 21. I think it's going to be up here. But I call this to mind, and therefore I have hope. I call this to mind, and therefore I have hope. Listen to this. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Listen to this. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. Go back to the first verse, if you would, Mary. I want to just kind of talk a little bit about this. As, as he sort of reminisces all the adversity that he is observing and seeing and feeling and all of those kinds of things, as he does that, he says, in the midst of it, I call to mind. I remember something, okay? And when you go back to the Bible, you look that throughout the Bible when adversity is being uh, is being recorded in the scripture, the one who records it will at some point 
come back and he'll sort of hit the reset button. You find the same thing in, in um, like the book of Nahum. Nahum, some of you didn't even know there was a book of, called Nahum in the Bible, but it's a short prophet by what we call a minor prophet. And this minor prophet, what he does is he, he's recording all the adversity that's coming because of people's disobedience to God. And that's not what I'm saying happened this week, but, but he's recording the adversity that's coming. And then he pauses quickly and he just says these words. In the midst of all of the, 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 the things that he sees, he simply says this, the Lord is good. Everybody say the Lord is good. And then he says he's a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who trust in him. What a great verse. You see, every once in a while, when you're going through adversity, you've got to come back to what really, really matters and what's really important. You know, I'm, as I was thinking about this morning early and yesterday morning early about what I might share with this, I just think about the number of times in my life when God has had to recall to my mind something that is important that gives me hope. Because if I, don't, if, I don't, if I don't go back to the essentials, if I don't go back to what's really true about God, what it produces in me is hopelessness. You know what I think the greatest poverty in the world is today? I think the greatest poverty in the world today is hopelessness. The world seems to be losing hope is what it's doing. And, but he says, I call this to mind. And what I've, what I've discovered is I talk with people who go through various different challenges in their life. What I've discovered is that challenges um, challenge our beliefs, but challenges are really what sort of exposes what we really believe. It exposes what is really important in our life and what we really believe. You know, I, I talk to people all the time who go through adversity. That's part of what I do. Somebody asked me, what does the pastor do all week? I said, you don't want to know. Yeah, you do. But sometimes we talk to people going through challenges. Here's what I've discovered. Adversity sort of magnifies what the heart already believes. And when people who are out of faith go through adversity, they become very angry at God. Many of them choose not to believe in God because of the adversity, and I understand the temptation that people feel in that. What's interesting is they continue to be mad at something that they don't believe exists. Think about that. I was talking to an atheist the other day, and he was saying to me, well, I just don't believe in God, and I don't believe in this. I said, are you angry about it? And he said, yeah. I said, why are you so angry at something that doesn't exist? I don't get that. He said, well, I just think religion is, is hurt people. I said, now, if you want to talk about religion, that's a different subject, but we're not talking about religion. We're talking about God. Those are two different subjects. But I've also discovered in my lifetime that people who have a deep faith, faith is tested and tried. It's, it's put through all sorts of things. But what happens in, in the midst of the struggle is like... Jeremiah in the book of Lamentations, we call to mind and therefore we have hope, something that is of value. And here's what he says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Now, it doesn't always feel that way, does it? It doesn't always feel that way. 
According to the scripture, according to Jeremiah, and actually according to the word of God, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. In other words, it just never ends. It, it doesn't cease to exist. The Bible says that God has loved us with an everlasting love. And it's an interesting concept because the word everlasting, literally in Hebrew, could be translated from vanishing point to vanishing point. He's loved us from vanishing point to vanishing point. Let me, let me give you sort of a simplified, simplified, simplified version of that. Here's what I think he's saying. There's never been a time, ever, ever, ever been a time, whether you feel it or you don't feel it, whatever your feelings may be, there's never been a time when God did not love you. And there will never be a time when God does not love you. It's in his very nature. The Bible says God is love. God doesn't have love. God doesn't express love. Yes, he expresses it in ways. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's an expression. But that grew out of something that was eternal, not something that was temporal. I mean, aren't you so grateful that the Bible doesn't say, for God so loved the world, he felt good about it. We'd be in trouble, wouldn't we? And so the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. I mean, it just never stops. Now, sometimes we don't understand that. We don't understand love sometimes. How many of you have ever loved your children um, with discipline? I was going to say by spanking them, but we don't do that anymore, right? Because you go to jail. But how many of you have ever loved your children by disciplining them? Do you think in the midst, in the midst of the discipline they were going, this feels so lovely? Now, back when I grew up, they actually used weapons of mass destruction. <laughs> My dad had a belt. You could hear that thing. <laughs> you know, I look back in that moment, I, I didn't have any concept of their love, but looking back and knowing now what their motivation was. Because see, motivation is what matters. Knowing the motivation knows, helps me know this. There was a, never a time in my life where my parents did not love me. Now, I can guarantee you there were times in my life where my parents did not like me. But they always loved me, and their love never ceases, ever ceases. It just keeps on. I got three kids of my own, and sometimes they aggravated the fool out of me. Not really, because I'm still a fool, but... Uh, but they aggravated me. But you know, I don't ever remember a time when my love for them ever ceased. In fact, my love is what produced my aggravation at times. And the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. And then listen to this, his mercies never come to an end. Now, you, if you've been around this church very long, you know my definition of mercy, right? Let, let me give you... Grace and mercy are, are sort of like the flip side of the same coin. You have heads and tails on a coin. If, if, if you have a quarter, you may see the tail side of it, but it's still a quarter. You may see the head side of it, but it's still a head. It's the flip side of the same coin. Let me, let me tell you, grace is God giving us what we do not deserve. In other words, everything in my life. God, grace is God giving me what I do not deserve. That's why when people ask me, how are you doing today? I tell them I'm doing better than I deserve. And of course, Americans all say, oh, no, you deserve a lot. I do. But I don't get what I deserve because God, in his grace, 
gives me what I do not deserve, his mercy withholds from me what I do deserve. Mercy is the mechanism that God gives us. Listen, God, grace just doesn't withhold from us what we do deserve. Mercy it doesn't just, uh, mercy withholds from us what we do deserve. And every day what I learn is that if it were not for the mercies of God that are new every morning, the scripture says, they never come to an end. And, and, and when I understand that, it's that, that I understand that every air, every breath that I take, every bite I consume, every uh, moment that I have in my life is simply God withholding from me what I do deserve. And his mercies never come to an end. And here's the cool thing. They are new every morning. When you got up this morning, did you think, mercy, I'm alive. Mercy's sakes, God let me get through the night. Did you think when you got up this morning, man, the mercy of God got me through the evening, got me through yesterday, and the mercy of God is going to walk with me through this day. God is going to give to me many things I don't deserve. He's going to withhold from me many things that I do deserve. And he's gracious and kind. They're new every morning. And then he says, great is your faithfulness. Have you ever thought about somebody else? God, why don't you just get them? Have you ever thought that? Seriously, have you ever had that thought? God, why don't you just get them? You know, I, 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 I used to struggle with that thought, and one day I was praying, and I said, God, why don't you just get them? Because, and God spoke to my heart and said, because if I get them, i got to get you. You know, I, I was saved at six years old. That was a long time ago. 57 years ago. As a matter of fact. And um, do you know why I'm saved today? Because I've just gotten better and better and better, right? That's Carol. I just get better and better. That's my wife, right? I think she's thinking I'm going back into my second childhood or something. I don't know. You know why I'm saved today? Because God is faithful to his promise. Think about Israel. Think about Israel. God chose Israel to be his people. That's what he did. He chose them. Did he choose them because they were perfect? No. I mean, his first declaration of choice really was Abraham. <laughs> Abraham did some really bonehead things. He really did. He, you know, he told one of the kings that his wife was his sister so he wouldn't... That's just a sick thought, number one. Okay, but, uh, you know, you think about the bonehead things that men who were chosen by God did. Why didn't God just wipe out Israel? You know why he didn't? Because God had made a covenant or promise to Israel. And let me tell you something. When God makes a promise, you mark my word. God makes a promise. He keeps it because he's faithful to himself first. God is faithful to himself first. When God makes a promise, you mark my word, God 
keeps his promise. He's faithful to himself, and out of the faithfulness that he has to himself, that faithfulness is directed toward those who he has made a part of his covenant people. Um, you know, I look back over my lifetime, and I will guarantee you, uh, how, how many of you are surprised you lived through your teenage years? How many of you? <laughs> you I, I'm so, you should, the things we did in Texas, we were stupid, you know. One of, I, mean, I shouldn't tell this story because the environmentalists will get mad, but that's all right. You'll get over it. Um, before I started football my freshman year, my brother-in-law, who was really older than me and a terrible influence in my life, <laughs> we, we, just, we decided to go out and go water skiing because we started two-a-days the next day in football. I was a freshman. He was going to be a senior. And so they took me and a guy named Jay Bonner, and we went out and... A ski boat and these guys were professional skiers literally professional skiers they they had a ski team and they skied in all these pyramids and one of them was uh, could ski, ski barefoot foot I mean th these guys were amazing they did shows and all this stuff they said you know Jim go out with us and you can pull us and and so I went out and after a little while they got bored with that and and it's Texas so they had a shotgun in the boat and so we decided to go duck hunting. And we actually had two guns in the boat. You ever seen, uh, I shouldn't tell this story. Listen, I've repented of this, okay? Whatever it was, I've repented. And the old mud hens, they were terrible ducks, and you couldn't eat them. But, um, but we would drive into them as fast as we could, and the ducks would be going like this and they would just be shooting guns at the ducks and they'd be falling in the boat how do we not get killed if not that why do we not get arrested because I lived in Texas <laughs> and uh, we ran out of gas on the far side of the lake because we were too stupid to check the gas tank and, uh, and we had to be back across the lake because we had to be at football practice, and if you're late, coaches don't pull out the belt. They pull out the paddle, and they run you till you die. And so we got the rows out, and we're trying to row across the lake as fast. It's a big lake. It really is. And my brother-in-law gets back there, and he gets the tank, and he fills our little gas in there, so he's pumping it like this. And he'd start it, and he'd go, and, uh, but I look back over the dumb things I did, and I learned this. God's awfully faithful. He really is. And then he says this. Great is your faithfulness. Then he says, the Lord is my portion. What does that mean? That means if you have the Lord, you have everything you need. If you have the Lord, you have everything you need. It's like the 23rd Psalm. It's actually one of my favorite misquotes of the Bible. I know I'm not supposed to misquote the Bible, but I love it. It's the little girl who was quoting the 23rd Psalm, which is the Lord of my shepherd, I shall not want, except she misquoted it, and here's the way she said it. The Lord is my shepherd, that's all I want. 
The Lord is my portion. In other words, he's my satisfaction. And I would ask you today, where do you find satisfaction? Where do you find the fulfillment? You could see the fires were coming over the hill, right? And you could lose your stuff. Right? How would you have been? Jeremiah says, the Lord is my portion. He's my provision. He's my satisfaction. And because of that, my soul hopes in him. It hopes in him. We need hope today, don't we? We really do. We have hope today. Can I tell you, it's not in the government. It's not, in, it's not even in the people who are sitting closest to you right now. Our hope is in the Lord. The Bible says we're to hope in the Lord. Uh-oh, somebody, another, you guys don't know this, but a few weeks ago, a, a salesman called me and I answered the phone. Should I? No, I don't. Um, but my hope is in the Lord. And many of you are there. You really are. Doesn't mean you don't enjoy the things you have. I want you to enjoy life. We're going to enjoy chili in a few minutes. And we want to do that. But my hope's not in that pot of chili. I do hope I win. <laughs> I've been trying for 15 years. And my hair's going to turn loose if I don't do something quick. But uh, um, my hope is in the Lord. And there are other people who have found that. We're going to baptize today because there's some people who have found their hope in the Lord. Uh, one of them we're going to do after we finish in here. Is Cambria in here? Is she in here? Is she with the kids? Okay. Uh, we were going to baptize her in here today. Uh, we got a, a tank up here to baptize her in, and when we got it two-thirds, three-fourths away full, we realized it had a leak on this end. <laughs> And so we're going to baptize her out there. So when we go out there in a little bit, we'll gather around, we'll, we'll baptize her. But um, we're going to baptize a young man that means a lot to me. There he is. No, don't let him be quiet. It's his time. Yeah. Um, I, I don't even know what to say but this young man has encouraged my heart those are his amens there you go isn't it awesome and um, we uh, obviously we're gonna, I'm going to do something that I've never done we're going to baptize without immersion because I'm a baptized we're supposed to put you under and the family decides whether or not we bring you up. <laughs> but, uh, but we obviously can't do that with Trent. And uh, we thought about it, but we didn't want to take the risk of hurting him. But the truth is, it's all about his heart. And because his hope is in the Lord. And so, Trent, come up here, buddy. 
you and your daddy. Come up here a minute. We're going to baptize you. Come on over here, man. What we're going to do is we're going to do a pour over. And um, um, I won't tell you what his dad said, but I want to do something real quick. All right, Trent, can I ask you a question? You ready? Do you know Jesus in your heart? You know. And have you accepted him into your heart? And is he your savior and the Lord of your life? And today, you're going to follow the Lord in baptism to say to people that I've given my life to Jesus. And his dad... uh, I have no idea how excited he's been about this. Mom says he's inviting everybody to be here today. Yeah. But Trent, you know Jesus lives in your heart, right? Yeah. You know he's your Savior and the Lord of your life. Therefore, Trent, in obedience to the command of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, and because of your public profession of faith in him as Lord and his master. It is my privilege to baptize you, your dad's privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. You're buried with Christ. to walk in a newness of life. brother come up here man you need we can get a picture you you're getting in the family soon i heard you're engaged so we gotta get some pictures here yeah so let me remind you you can be seated again steal this jacket. God's good, guys. He is. And uh, we rejoice in that. And here's my request to you today. If you've never trusted Jesus, I hope you'll realize that he's, he's really all there is. If you don't have him, you don't have hope. Torderichis, you have hope today because your mom knew Jesus. You know the Bible said about your mom? Mom said that while she died, she never really dies. And she's with the Lord right now. 
and our hope today is that you know that. And here's the reality. God did everything necessary for you to have a relationship with him. You see, it's sin that separates us from God. And God sent his own son, his sinless, perfect son, into this world to live a life we could not live and to die a death we deserved. And when he died on that cross, when he said three words, it is finished, it is finished. He paid for the sins of the world, but only the world that says yes to him benefits from the gift. I used to tell people, all Jesus took on the cross, you'll take if you don't take Jesus. the good news for us is that the grave could not hold him death could not keep him and he conquered sin in the grave and he lives he lives you ask me now how I know he lives he lives in my heart and he can live in yours if you will by faith say Jesus I believe you died for me I believe you were buried for me. And I believe you rose again. And right now, I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I ask you to come into my heart and into my life. And I ask you to be my savior, to save me. And I ask you to be my boss, be my Lord. And if you'll by faith, ask that saved. The Bible says, by grace you're saved through faith, that not of yourself, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So Father, thank you this morning. I pray that if there's anyone here, the Holy Spirit has spoken to their heart, that now, right now, they just say, God, yes, I receive your gift of eternal life. God, remind them that what we do in our heart has to come out of our mouth. If we confess Jesus as Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we're saved. God, I pray that some point in the day, you come to me or someone else and just say, today, the Holy Spirit has drawn me to himself. And today, I accept the free gift of God in Jesus Christ. So, Father, thank you your gift and God as we end this service we end it as an act of worship and it's a time of offering it's a time of commitment God is a time when we today are adopting our budget God it's an act of faith on our part all that we do is faith toward you so God I pray you would help us to honor you in these next few moments